So two weeks ago, we began a little series, a preaching series, you could say. And since I've had the 530 Mass all these three weeks, I decided to do the series. And so we began that first homily two weekends ago asking the question, what is faith? And I propose for our consideration a definition that the church provides for us. And I'm, I'm going to give you that definition again. We heard that faith is a theological virtue by which we believe in God and believe all that He said and revealed to us and all that the Holy Church proposes for our belief. And so in that first homily, we looked at that first part of the definition that faith was a theological virtue by which we believed in God. And this meant, as I explained, it being a theological virtue that grace was primarily and fundamentally Right? Faith was a grace. Right? And usually we think of faith as something we do. But rather it's a grace given to us by God. And that was important for us to remember, to consider, to know, because we can place obstacles. We can place barriers. Or even we can totally block that river of grace from flowing into our lives. And thanks be to God, since it was Divine Mercy Sunday two weekends ago, we lauded God because He has given that great sacrament of confession by which that river flows back to us. It's unblocked. In the second homily last Sunday, we consider the second part of that definition, right? That faith was to believe in all that God has said and revealed to us. This meant that God's revelation was not something random or inconsistent. And as the readings placed before us our consideration and pondering, right, the mystery of the very person of Christ was not just a random event. Rather, He, Jesus Christ, was the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. Prophecies upon prophecies upon prophecies pointed to Him, and He fulfilled them. And that was important for us to remember, to consider, and to know, because faith then there, therefore becomes, right, not just a blind impulse, right, not just an empty hope, or not just a blind leap like we often hear it to be. On the other hand, faith is something certain, it's something proven, and it's something reasonable. And thanks be to God for that, because faith demands our entire self. And I don't know about you, but I would want to give myself totally to something that I know has a sure foundation and that I can trust. And so this morning, I think by God's providence, we can consider through the readings that third part of the definition, right? Faith is to believe in what the Holy Church proposes for our belief. Let's recall the words just proclaimed to us by Christ. He says, I am the good shepherd. The sheep will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. One flock. In other words, there are going to be, there's going to be one community of believers. There's going to be one people. In short, there's going to be one church that Christ is the leader of. 
And this one church has as its shepherd Jesus Christ himself. And the reason why we are confident to place our faith in that church is precisely because Jesus shepherds it. There's a security, there's a confidence, there's a refreshment in knowing that he is the shepherd. But as we look around, though, we see that there are many flocks, aren't there? There's many denominations, Christian denominations. And according to Christ, there's only supposed to be one. He said it today in our gospel. And so the question becomes, I think, which one is the right one? Which is the one flock Jesus speaks about today in the gospel? There can only be one because, well, he, he said there was only one. And there can only be one because between all the denominations, there's some big differences between us and other, other Protestant denominations. This is not a condemnation of Protestant denominations, okay? But right, and we look at those differences. I mean, some really big differences. Let's talk about the real presence of the Eucharist, whether Christ is or isn't present. Let's talk about the sacrament of penance, of confession, whether your sins can be forgiven by a priest or not. Let's talk about how we are saved. Is it faith alone or faith and works? Let's talk about scripture or tradition or both. Let's talk about whether there are priests or there's not priests. Why is this important? Why is it worth our time to consider this? I don't know about you, but for me, I want to be a part of the one flock in which Jesus is the true shepherd. The one shepherd. Now, you know probably my answer that the Catholic Church fulfills that. And I think we can come to this conclusion many, many ways, but I'd like for us to stay with the theme of shepherding for a moment. And so, I want to bring us to a moment in Scripture where that language of shepherd reappears. Let's recall, after the resurrection, Peter and all of his friends are fishing. They see Jesus on the shore. He invites them to come have breakfast with them. On a, there's a nice, beautiful scene. They're on the shore of the lake. He's cooking breakfast. There's a nice fire awaiting them. I'm almost certain Jesus is cooking bacon. I would be willing to bet. And then he asks Peter three times if he loves him. And we know Peter responds, in short, yes, all three times. But after each of Peter's responses, Jesus has some very interesting commands for him, for Peter. He says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. Why is this important? Because Jesus, when he tells Peter that second time to tend my sheep, what he's really telling Peter to do is shepherd my sheep. And so Jesus himself calls Peter a shepherd of Jesus' own sheep. So, I thought Jesus was the shepherd. So we have to ask, 
Who's the shepherd? Jesus or Peter? Yes. Both of them. And so looking at all this in perspective, in light of our gospel passage, right, the one flock of Christ is the flock that has the one shepherd. And the one shepherd is Jesus. But it's also Peter. As we see our Lord himself shows to us. And what's so beautiful and wonderful about our Catholic faith is that we have the one shepherd. We are shepherded by the one shepherd of the one flock who is the shepherd appointed by Jesus himself to take his place on this earth while the church journeys to heaven. This is not to say that Jesus is nowhere present in our Protestant brothers and sisters, right? But I am saying there is a fullness in our faith. And you see, we see a special role given to Peter in our first reading today. We hear, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? He's speaking with the authority of the Spirit. And then he begins to give his testimony how Christ was the stone rejected by the builders. The stone which became the cornerstone. But furthermore, Peter makes another bold declaration. He, in a sense, makes an authoritative teaching on how we are saved. This is what he says. That there is no salvation through anyone else, through Jesus. Nor is there any other name under heaven given to the human race by which we are to be saved. And so Peter recognizes his authority. And so we've seen this throughout all the ages. Peter and his successors leading the church by their teaching and by their shepherding under the guidance of the Spirit of the Good Shepherd, Jesus himself. Okay, now with that under our belts, I'd like to draw out, I think, in a very, very important implication of this teaching. The Church of Christ, the Catholic Church, is manifested and revealed to us visibly to be the one flock of Christ because we have the one shepherd. Christ himself, but also the shepherd he placed in our midst. With that said, listen to what the church calls the family. She says this. In our own time, in a world often alien and even hostile to faith, believing families, that is, faith-filled families, are of primary importance as centers of living, radiant faith for this reason. The Second Vatican Council, using an ancient expression, calls the family the Ecclesia Domestica. Translated means the domestic church. And so the church, my brothers and sisters, is calling the family a miniature church. Let's make a parallel here. If the one flock of Christ the church has one shepherd entrusted with shepherding his flock, so too the family, which is the domestic church. It ought to have one shepherd as well. But just like in the shirt that 
the church that one shepherd is both Christ and Peter, so too in the family, the shepherd is both Christ and I would say, in a very particular way, the father of the family. The father becomes the shepherd of his family. To you husbands and fathers out there, I know it's not Father's Day yet, but I would like this today to highlight your duty as a Christian father. It's your role, in a particular way, to shepherd your family. Whether your children are screaming back there or they're older, you can never be released from your duty to shepherd your family. That shepherding may take a different expression, but it's always your role. And Jesus has some words for you today. He says, a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's the standard. That's the goal. That's the idea. That's the benchmark. That's the definition of a good shepherd. But that's not all. He not only lays down his life for the sheep, but a good shepherd knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. Husbands and fathers out there, you have a great task and a great responsibility to lay down your life for your family, to know your family, and let your family know you. Today we celebrate Shepherd Sunday, as I mentioned at the beginning of Mass, in which the church asks everyone to pray for more priests. And we need more priests. But to get more priests, we need good fathers. Doesn't matter if your children are young or old, you have to assume that role as shepherding your family. To any people out there not married, young or old, we need men to listen to the good shepherd's voice and hear the call to the priesthood if it's present. This call to lay down your life for the sake of others. My brothers and sisters, for those of you men considering the priesthood, priesthood is not for wimps. It's for men. Men who are willing to lay down their life for others. In our society, we have a crisis of the absence of fatherhood. That needs to change. Even if fathers are present in the home, they can be absent emotionally, spiritually. That needs to change. We need present fathers. Fathers who shepherd. Fathers who follow the standard of Christ to lay down their life for their family. To let their family know them and they know their family. Our Lord Jesus Christ has in mind one flock and one shepherd. And his plan is already found in the Catholic Church. The one flock and having the one shepherd. And his plan needs to be realized in every single family. We need this more than ever. Fathers, please 
shepherd your family.